unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel, and a special guest today. So I'm going to hand it off to David, and we're going to just, uh, I'm going to let you take it away, David. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, I'm excited about our guest today. He's going to talk about something everyone in direct response, everyone in marketing needs to know about. It's called Beating the Control, and his name is Justin Goff. He's a friend of mine and also somebody I really look up to uh, because of his accomplishments and his incredible deep voice. (laughs) Hey, Justin. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, Thank you for the compliments on the voice. (laughs) You're welcome. So, okay, uh, let's, let's get started. Justin has created from scratch three multi-million dollar direct response companies. And his last one was a supplement company that he and his partner scaled from zero to $23 million in just under three years. So I forgot to say this at the top. This is a report from the field. This is someone who's not just an expert, but actually doing it, done it, been there, done that, not once, but three times. He's still doing a lot of things. He'll talk about that today. Justin has sold his stake in that last company and he took a year off, and now he's helping the biggest direct response companies boost their response and increase their average order size on their offers. He lives in Austin, Texas, but he does not live alone. He lives with his two great Danes, George and Dempsey. Um, Justin, before we get to the good stuff, I have some important information for our listeners. Copy is powerful, and you are responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. From a lawyer who understands direct response, of course. Lawyers who understand more than the word no. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Justin, I've been so looking forward to this. and. Beating a control, I've probably been hearing that phrase for decades, but, um, and mo- many of our listeners do know the more sophisticated ones are the people working with larger volume businesses, but not everyone knows. So could you just briefly s- describe what is a control? Sure. So every business, basically the name of the game in direct response is customer acquisition. Um, and every large business or small business even really knows that acquiring customers and continuously getting new customers every single day is really, it's really the name of the game. And the way you do that is you have a, uh, you have a front end offer, which we usually call a control, um, that is bringing those customers in. So in the old days in, uh, direct mail, it was, Whatever, usually like a newsletter or uh, whatever type of lead gen offer or something like that that was bringing in and acquiring the customers. Online, there's tons of different things. So some people still do newsletters. Uh, we did physical products. Uh, there's free plus shipping offers, all kinds of stuff. Basically, the idea is you have this main front-end offer that brings in all your customers. Um, and the issue is it fatigues. So it doesn't last forever. Um, and when you realize how important 
um, bringing new customers on is, you'll realize that getting that control and beating the control and continuously beating it so that you can keep it running for not just five months, but two years, three years, four years. Um, that is really like the holy grail when it comes to beating a control. That's that's very cool. And um, so just just to um, put a little context around this, um, in old school traditional laboratory science, there is a concept that you have a control. Uh, the control is sort of the baseline, and and we in direct response have borrowed that term uh, in a sense. Although what we do is you know somewhat scientific and somewhat little magic fairy dust too. Um, what our control is, we we have a baseline response, a baseline cost to acquire a customer. That's our control, and then the idea of beating the control is increasing or decreasing in, in the direction you want important numbers. Like you were saying, the number of customers you acquire, the cost per acquisition, maybe you can even change the lifetime value of a customer by, by tweaking your control. Uh, am, am I on track? Because you've actually done this. I just teach it and play it on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're definitely on track. So there's kind of numerous ways you can do it. And the Kind of the first way I was introduced to this was um, probably about five years ago. I was on a bunch of direct mail lists, and I remember getting um, there was one for a cordyceps supplement, and I remember getting this. I kept getting this package. It had uh, something about how to get the energy back that you had in your twenties and thirties, and I saw it two or three times. And then one day, one showed up, and it was about this. Uh, forbidden fruit that Chinese emperors were using to have more energy, more vitality, and increase their sex drive. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Read it, and I got to about the third or fourth page and realized that it was for the same cordyceps supplement. I was like, oh. And I went back and I pulled the other one out, and I was like, oh, this is literally the exact same thing. And all they changed was like the first four pages. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, and so I had never been like coached by a copywriter or anything. So this idea of like, that's how you kind of beat that was very foreign to me. Mm -hmm. And I saw it and it immediately made sense. I was like, yeah, so all these people are seeing this and they've seen the same one a couple of times. Now you hit them with a different one and maybe this one works better. Um, so that was kind of my first foray into like, oh, okay, this is how you actually beat a control. Um, and, and sometimes it is as simple as changing a lead. Uh, which is nice. But with direct mail, it's a little different because direct mail, you don't have all the other aspects of it. So when it comes to online, that's kind of where um, a lot of people just do leads online. So like they'll redo the front end, they'll redo the first two minutes of the video sales letter. Um, kind of the way I take a, the approach to it is a more full view of what they're doing. So yeah, and, and and let me stop you here. You're being sort of casual about it, but I have a feeling this is a mini or a major breakthrough. And 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 let me let me tell you why I say that. Um, you know, as direct response or, uh, as direct response marketers, we're in like a paradoxical position because we're very traditional. We try and minimize risk. We're conservative. We try and keep things at work in order to keep the business going. On the other hand, we're wild innovators. We always have to try new stuff. But sometimes when we change medium, media, we have, you know, some people sort of sitting there with a very furrowed brow saying, there are certain immutable laws of marketing and nothing changes. And 
at, at the core level, that's true. But I think one of the things you and I were chatting about before we started is that it's not the same online. It's not like you send out a letter or you have a little coupon in a magazine. It's there's many more moving parts. And I think the innovation you're talking about today is that there are many tweaks you can make, not just the first four pages, not just the sales letter, because we've got funnels. Am I right? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, you summed it up. So the way to look at it, the way I kind of look at it is there's basically six parts with your average funnel. So you have the ad that they click on to get there. So that's could be a Facebook ad, it could be an email, a banner ad, whatever it is. That's part one. Part two is the actual sales page. Um, that could be your VSL. It could be an actual sales page, whatever it is. Uh, part three then would be the checkout page where you actually put the order in. Um, part four would be the first upsell. Uh, and usually, in my experience, the upsells and the checkout pages are pretty much where even the smartest marketers are leaving the most money on the table. Um, the upsell sequence can go super complicated with four or five of them, upsells, downsells, everything. Uh, but to keep it simple, I kind of say the first two are really the most important anyways. Um, and then you kind of get to the last part, which is like the confirmation page or the thank you page, whatever you want to call it. Um, and really the way I look at it is I see all five or all six of these. And then I kind of look at it like, like a pack of wild animals would look at hunting prey. You find the weakest one and you go after that. Um, so like a lot of clients will come to me and they'll be like, well, we need a new sales page. Cause this is like fatiguing. Mm-hmm. And a couple of times they've told me that and we go and we look, I go through some of their stuff and I realize the sales page is fine. Uh, um, it's actually your ads on the front end that are fatiguing. And we switch up the ads and a new ad literally re-energizes the whole thing. And they're back to the same customer acquisition numbers that they were at before. And we didn't have to change shit in terms of like rewriting a new sales page or anything like that. You mentioned uh, the upsell and the downsell um, after the confirmation page. And you said that that's usually where... Uh, usually where most money is made or most money is left off the table or left on the table. And you said that uh, you like to keep it simple and you mentioned two things. What, what do you, uh, what are your preferences when it comes to upsell and downsell pages? So the biggest thing with upsells, and like I said, even the clients I'm working with that are in the most of mine are in the 10 million to about 50, $60 million range for their size of their business. And even they make these mistakes. Um, I see it over and over. Um, the first upsell by far is the most important. Um, that's where you're going to get about 70 to 80% of your upsell revenue from. And most people don't really put enough time into testing the upsells. So I'll give you a story of a client I recently worked on there. They had a free plus shipping offer and their average order value was like 16 bucks or so. And they were running this on Facebook and they were actually losing about a dollar on every sale, um, which is not bad. And a lot, most companies are actually okay losing money on the front end. But they were doing about 1,000 to 1,500 sales a day. And at those kind of numbers, like not, not too many people like to lose 30 to 40 grand a month and try to make it up. Um, 
so I kind of looked at it. I went through their upsells and I redid their upsells. And basically most of it came from the first upsell, but I was able to add about, I think it was like $2 and 70 cents to their average order value. So they were profitable. Yes. So it went from about 16 bucks average order value to, I think it was like 1870. So now they're actually profitable. And that type of swing is huge for those businesses. And they will gladly pay you a good chunk of money for that. Sure. Because even if their customer value is so much greater than $16, uh, it's not funny. Um, there, there are cash flow issues, even for a 10 to $50 million business, aren't there? Yeah, it, it's, it's a cash flow thing. And it's just, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to buy traffic when you're not losing money. People just don't like to lose money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who does? So um, could you, did you go after the, um, the way you uh, changed the upsell on that, the same way you would go after uh, changing uh, the, the main sales page or, or, or the ad that generated um, the lead? Yeah, it's actually a pretty similar process. So I, I tend to look at, uh, if they have something that's working already, obviously I know, okay, this is working. What can I add to it to, to make it better? Um, probably the biggest mistake with upsells though, is selling the wrong product by far. Mm -hmm. Cause most people slap up an upsell and then they try to test everything from there. So they're testing video versus long form. They're testing video and long form. They're testing, uh, different buttons, whatever. And all of that kind of you want to do that eventually, but if you have the wrong product in the first place, none of that matters. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. One thing I heard at a, a, a really great conference in Las Vegas at three years ago, um, as you know, a, a, a simple way to think of this rule of thumb is the upsell is just a better version of what you've bought. So, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're going to the drugstore with a headache, you might get Excedrin, but if it's a really bad head rate headache, you'd get extra strength Excedrin. Now you could probably get the same effect by taking four regular Excedrin and it wouldn't kill you, but people want that extra strength Excedrin. Is, <laughs> is that sort of the, 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 uh, uh, the, or, or, or I shouldn't say is that, what is your psychology or your approach to upsells? Yeah. So I actually, I think we were at the same event when that happened because that, that was a, <laughs> Oh yeah. The Mark Link event. Yeah. So that, that was a was, light bulb moment for me too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really kind of influenced how I do a lot of the upsell stuff. Um, 
and it's very true. And I, I've probably done, I don't know, 15 to 20 different uh, funnels since then where I've tested that idea and it, it works every time. Um, so to get, give you like an actual real example. So one of the last products I was looking on was a, uh, a paleo cookbook. Um, and they do, they do tons of sales, a couple, probably between, I think 500 and probably about 900 a day on average. Wow. So they're kicking butt with the, with the cookbook and their first upsell, uh, is more cookbooks. Um, it's literally, you just bought one cookbook. Here's three more. Um, and now like I, I, the way I, before I heard Mark and some of them talk about that, I used to think like, that seems weird. Why would you buy more cookbooks if you just bought a cookbook? But when you kind of look at it now, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. You have a cookbook buyer. What they buy are cookbooks. So sell more cookbooks. Let me see if I can give you an example from real life. Cause logically it do- doesn't make any sense. You got the cookbook. There's so many recipes in there. You'll probably never get through them, but let me see if I can show you this. I bought a guitar. <laughs> you see all those guitars? That's yeah. only half of them. And, and the same thing with books about copywriting and the same thing with another, uh, uh, a, a number of other obsessions. I mean, and I'm not unique in that way, obviously. That's why the kind of upsell you're talking about works, right? It does. Um, I, I kind of liken it to, I've always said, like, when people buy something, I call them like it's a buyer in heat. So right at that moment is really, so especially like in certain niches where like biz op, finance, uh, weight loss, health, um, they, they're pretty impulse purchases. So right when they buy that is your best chance to sell them more stuff. Like if you try to sell that same person more stuff three weeks from now, they're in a completely different frame of mind uh, and your chances of doing it aren't good. So that's one of the reasons you really, you, you focus a lot on that first upsell. You focus a lot on that second upsell. Um, Cause when, when the buyer is in heat, uh, that's your best chance to get as much money out of them as possible. Okay. That's good. So could you um, give some examples? You did already give one about the 16 to 18, 20, or I'm not sure I got that exactly right. Could, could you give some other examples of the, uh, 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 you know, the, the changes that you're able to bring about when you beat a control when it works? Yeah, definitely. So one of my other clients who was in the health niche, um, he wanted me to redo his, his VSL. It was, it was starting to kind of fatigue. Um, his traffic was going, it was going from a couple hundred sales a day to down to like maybe 50, I think. Um, mostly because he couldn't buy traffic because he just wasn't getting the conversions he needed. Um, so I told him, I was like, shoot over, send me over the links for your whole funnel. I'll look at the whole thing. Basically, after going through it and diagnosing it, I realized that his checkout page was actually like really, really weak. Um, it was pretty much a straight out of the box checkout page. Uh, he hardly customized anything on it. Um, and I've done a ton of checkout page testing on my own stuff. Um, and I know the difference it can make. So I basically put into practice a couple different things on the checkout page, adding more proof, um, organizing it better. So it flowed better, uh, moving, one of the huge things on a checkout page is moving the actual like order form up above the fold, uh, pretty much always increases conversions. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things like that. And we ran a test and by the end of the test, he got a 59% boost in conversions. Holy crap. Simply from what we did on the checkout page. And 
for anybody who's like worked on VSLs to get a 59% boost on a VSL off something that's been working for like a year and a half is pretty damn hard. Okay. And, and the key thing is you didn't change the copy in the VSL. Yeah, we didn't change anything. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what I want everyone to catch. That you're looking at this thing like a CAT scan. Like you're looking at it holistically. Um, you're, you're not like the blind man. Nothing against blind people, but, you know, when they try and see an element, elephant, they're usually holding their hand out and you're stepping back and look at the whole elephant saying, okay, maybe the trunk's working, but how about that left foot, left rear, right? I mean, and, and that's, that's, cause that's a, that is a way, uh, I, I expect, and I think you confirmed from working with clients, people don't see it. So that, that's really important. They are leaving money on the table. Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, everybody, you see this in everybody's business. It's really the, the helpfulness of having fresh eyes come in and look at your stuff because you're so in the mud and you're so looking at the same shit every single day. Yep. You don't see the obvious stuff that like I walk in and look at his funnel. I'm like, Oh, this is, why is this like this? And they're like, what do you mean? And then we fix it and it's, we get a huge boost. Um, yeah. So when you're kind of in it every day, it's really hard to see that. But like I said, a pair of fresh eyes, someone who knows what the hell they're doing goes and looks at it and it's completely obvious to them. Okay, great. Thank you. So Justin, what happens when the control starts to fatigue and you can't beat it anymore? Then what? That's when everybody starts to get really, really sad. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story when this happened to us. Uh, So my old company, uh, Patriot Health Alliance. We had a point where um, our main offer, Patriot Power Greens, was just crushing for like two years. Uh, we did somewhere around 270,000 new customers, most of whom were spending about 200 bucks on that first purchase. So these were like legit customers, not like cheap little free plus shipping buyers. Yeah. Um, and we kept revamping it. We kept revamping it. And we kept, like I said, we kept it running for two years, which is awesome because most, most offers don't run for anywhere near that long. Um, but then at the end, it finally kind of hit its, hit its, I don't know, its end point. And I, I couldn't really fix it. I, I had done everything I could do, everything I knew how to fix it. We had the average order value, like I said, up to like 190, 200 bucks. Um, nothing. I, I really couldn't figure out anything else. So at that point, our sales started dropping. So we were, we were doing somewhere around, at its peak, it was doing about 700 sales a day. Um, and I think at that point, it was probably somewhere in the 200. But like that 200 then just dropped really, really quickly because we couldn't run it on any cold traffic. And that's kind of one of the things with, with uh, front-end offers. It's usually like a, it's like a 0 to 100 thing. There's usually not like a middle. Um, it's either works or it doesn't. And like when it works, you could scale it like crazy, do tons of sales, make a ton of money, get a ton of customers. And when it doesn't work, you really can't do shit with it. It's just sitting there. Like you get some affiliates to mail for it. But, um, yeah, so that, that kind of happened to us where it started to die. And that was our main customer generator. And then pretty much all of your promotions to your list start to not do, not to do as well. So. Because really, those new customers that are getting put on the list are the most valuable by far. Because they're they're the ones who make up the bulk of the people who are buying all of your other offers, the affiliate stuff you promote to them, everything. Mm-hmm. But when that kind of dries up, um, 
that's when you start to see like all your backend revenue go down. Um, it's, <laughs> it's not a good feeling to watch, uh, watch an offer do that. So then what do you do? Um, well, like at least for us at that point, I kind of was like, I'm tapped out on this. I've thrown every idea I have at this. Let's bring in some other fresh eyes and see if they can fix it. Um, I think that was kind of the point where, um, that was right during when I was leaving the company. So I don't actually know how that turned out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's either you kind of come to a conclusion either. Okay. Either someone else can fix this. And if they can't fix it, we need to move on to a different offer because this offer is just kind of like run its course. Okay. So all good things must end. Uh, before we wrap up the show, and I so appreciate your making time to do this, what should a copywriter expect to charge for, for beating a control? So th- this is a thing that's very valuable to companies. So not only copywriters, but companies should be willing to pay a lot for this, um, especially if you have an offer that's like close to working on cold traffic or used to work on cold traffic and now it's not working anymore that like that's a pretty big pain point um so if you can fix that for them and get uh get it back so that they can start running traffic to it that's that's worth a lot of money and companies like a lot of the companies i work with are super glad to pay you a lot of money to fix that um so a, a lot of the stuff i do if it doesn't involve a lot of writing on the front end so like when i did the checkout page stuff for that guy I actually didn't charge him anything up front. It was purely on performance. Uh, we worked out a deal where I got $3,000 for every percentage point I boosted his offer. And to him, he, he, he runs a pretty damn successful company. So for him, it's very worth it. But that was 59 times three? Yeah. So I got like 170 some thousand bucks off of that, nice. which... Um, it was great because it took me about two hours to teach him how to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. But yeah, I mean, I, what a lot of, I guess, for like copywriters and some people have hangups with that though. So like people are like, well, you didn't do that much. Like it took you two hours. Like when I write a sales letter, it takes me six weeks and three rounds of edits and all kinds of stuff. But it's really about the ROI. That's what it is. Um, once you can look at it like that and once the business owner looks at it like that, um, that's when they're much more willing to pay for, for, for what seems like not that big of a deal. Very cool. Well, someone wants to get in touch with you. I imagine you're hard to reach and, and, and look way ahead, but if they do, how do they, how do they do it? Uh, you can shoot me an email, justingoff at gmail.com. Um, yeah, it's probably the easiest way. Friend me on Facebook. Okay, J-U-S-T-I-N-G-O-F-F at gmail.com. <clears throat> hey, Justin, would you come back next week and talk about email? Let's do it. All right. Thanks so much. This is terrific. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, fantastic episode. I really appreciate you coming on, Justin. And uh, w- until next time, we're going to come back and talk about email next time? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sweet. All right, copywriters, we will catch you next time. Bye for now. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on GarfinkelMedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. 
So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast.